Hello there, this is Aiden. I just wanted to say up front before the episode gets started that we experienced a few minor technical difficulties, so if you hear any hissing or popping or clicking noises during this episode, just know we did our best to edit them out, but some of them had to stay in. We're fairly certain that a spooky ghost got inside of our computer and made those noises just to haunt us. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoy our Halloween spooktacular. Ooh. Welcome to the Cinema Adventure Podcast. We're a podcast where we sit down every week and talk about a movie. This week, we're talking about Halloween. That's true. The movie by John Carpenter, the director. I'm Aiden Walker. And I'm Blake Peterson. How's it going, Blake? It's going so good. Feeling alive. How are you doing? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay. That's what a serial killer would say. Oh, oh, that's scary. Because we watched a movie about a serial killer. <gasps> that's true. Well, you're the expert. You better start. I'm the expert? Yeah, this is the first time that I saw this movie, so why don't you go ahead and begin? What do I tell the people? What do they want to know? I don't know. (laughs) I guess I'll just talk about it a little bit. So Halloween is a 1978 slasher movie directed by John Carpenter, co-written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, his then-girlfriend. It was John Carpenter's third movie. What were the first two? The first two, the first one is Dark Star, which is like a low-budget sci-fi movie. The second is 1976's Assault on Precinct 13, which is basically just budget shoot 'em up that's super good. I don't know how much more factual stuff you want. Um, but <laughs> So this movie, what had happened is Assault on Precinct 13 had been very well received by a lot of festival audiences. And so this movie, a couple producers apparently approached John Carpenter and said, hey, do you want to make a slasher movie, dead teenager movie, whatever. He agreed to it, and so he, John Carpenter, along with Deborah Hill, they, for $300,000, I believe, uh, filmed it in the spring of 1978. That made it hard to get pumpkins, of course. Made it pretty fast, and then it ended up being one of the most successful independent movies of all time, and slasher movies of all time. Speaking of which, yes. and by speaking of, I mean pumpkins, mm. we should probably <laughs> say that we're doing this particular movie today because it's Halloween. That's true. It's Halloween today. And I mean, what better movie to watch around Halloween season than Halloween? It's the perfect Halloween movie. Do you think it is? I think it is. I think it's appropriately titled. I think it was 2012. I was not allowed to watch rated R movies. But while my sister and my parents, they all went trick-or-treating. You weren't allowed to watch rated R movies when you were in high school? Yeah, I was 15. So I watched it against the rules. I think I found it just online or something, which is not something you should do, kids. Watched it, thought I'd be secretive. But then right, I think when the last 10 minutes started, the huge climax. My family came home, but instead of just walking in the door, my sister went in the backyard. She knew I'd be watching a scary movie. I don't know if she knew it would be Halloween. But she snuck through the backyard, crept up on the back window, and started banging. I think right at, like, one of the most pivotal scenes in the movie, and I screamed. So, (laughs) always a Halloween movie in my mind. I've seen it a couple times since then. This is your first time, though, isn't it? Yeah. There's so much pop culture imagery surrounding the character of Michael Myers mm. not 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 our not <laughs> spy Mike. not our not our spy friend not Austin Powers Mike no not oh boy is that <laughs> who that is not the love guru 
He's not, not the cat in the hat. I thought it was Jim Carrey. I think it's Mike Myers. Is it Mike Myers? I think it is. I just think of any character with a weird plastic face as Jim Carrey. I feel like, I yeah, it could be either wrong. one. I feel like even if you said Jim Carrey, it's fine. They're okay. in the same category. They're close enough. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess Jim Carrey was the Grinch in that other. Yeah. That other. So they're, uh, they're both Seuss dressing one. up as furry men with wild faces. <laughs> Just how they are, how they operate. Anyway, what I was saying, <laughs> to, to bring us back around, what well, I was saying is that this this character, Mike Myers, mm-hmm. is so heavily seen in pop culture with the creepy mask and the brandished knife that I expected there to be quite a bit more slashing in this movie. Yeah, not a lot there's of not, blood. Not, is there any blood? There's some blood. I don't blood. think there's really any. I Thinking about it, I don't know if I can think of any bloody shots. No. I think it's one of the few. It's funny because I think people associate it, since it is a slash movie, that it's going to be this bloody, gross, Friday the 13th style thing, but it's not. It's way more about suspense than it's slashing. For you, this was your first time. It was. How did you How did you feel about it? I liked it. It was, it was different than what I expected. I really did enjoy how much less it showed than I expected. Yeah. It didn't show very much. It was very suggested. I did enjoy it. I really did enjoy it. There was a lot of good suspense in it that I think horror movies now would really benefit from having. I feel like often most movies show too much and this movie definitely didn't show much at all. When it did show things, it was usually uncomfortable. And some of the showing that they did in this movie was through sound. So you'd get the the heavy breathing of Michael Myers from behind the mask, but you wouldn't see him on screen. It would be these kind of over-the-shoulder shots that are POV, almost POV from his point of view, and you get the just really horrible. Yeah, it's just really (laughs) creepy. And and there's even the scene where, uh, what's the main character? Laurie Strode. Knew that by heart. Laurie Schrode. So <laughs> Laurie Schrode gets a phone call, and she's like, who's this? Who's this? And, of course, there's just creepy breathing on the other end, <laughs> just like in every movie with a creepy phone call. Yeah. But this time, it's an actual serial killer. Yeah. Delightful. No, I feel the same way. I think what's what comes to this movie's benefit, slasher movies are so obsessed with its special effects, and how are you going to cleverly kill off some teenager this time? Whereas this one, I feel like... When things do climax into the kill-off of a character, I mean, it's cathartic, but you're so much more scared by the lead-up. And John Carpenter does such a good job with the lead-up because he draws these scenes of suspense where, you know, maybe characters are entering an unsafe situation, draws them out so long. But he also accompanies this with this really scary soundtrack, which he also produced. He's also a composer. He did all the soundtracks for all of his movies because he's just the best. Yeah, there's so much more about the lead-up. And I think a lot of horror movies nowadays, they're so reliant on their jump scares. And I think Halloween is so successful because it doesn't rely on the jump scares, and it is successful in generating this creepy atmosphere. It's scary. I don't know. I guess I was, I'm so conditioned to be ready for jump scares or ready for something that's truly unsettling to look at that it was a little simplistic in that way, and it wasn't as jarring for me, but... Yeah. Who knows? Maybe I'm just messed up, man. Who knows? Yeah, you're just so desensitized. But it is wild. I mean, if you think about it, this is one of the very first slasher movies. There have been some previously, but the slasher boom wouldn't really happen until this followed by Friday the 13th. Then after that, then it was a huge market for the horror movie. And the 1980s were pretty defined by it. It's weird to think that so many of these later slasher movies that have maybe kind of saturated the market, I don't want to say ruins the effect, but you almost forget that this was the original. There wasn't really anything like it at the time. There were a few things, but it was still a relatively new genre. It's hard to go back to that 1978 headspace, but... I think it is still a very successful horror movie. Every time I watch it, I feel like I'm freaked out by something new, which is always really nice. I think we should also mention that the another broad category that this film falls under, which is exploitation film. Yeah. It totally is that. It 
it does come in kind of later in the historical realm of exploitation because that was you know i want to say late 60s early 70s yeah. was when a lot of the serious exploitation film was happening this is 1978 so we're almost to the 80s it's definitely got those elements you know sensationalized violence even though it's minimal by today's standards and then there's of course some pretty raunchy sexy stuff that happens in the movie too yeah no it definitely has a lot of those elements i like it too because it does have the elements but it is smart in that way it is just a simple stock and slash movie but it i feel like a lot of exploitation movies you feel as though it is being made for the money or they kind of have noticed what the audience is like so they try to just give them more whereas halloween is so well crafted that it really feels like a horror movie that wasn't just made to make money. Like You feel like there's some heart there. Even though it was made cheaply, even though it was made with a similar intent, John Carpenter's such an artist compared to a lot of exploitation filmmakers. This movie, right off the bat, I think, it is very scary right away almost. Even just the opening credits, just the pitch black, it's only a shot of a jack-o'-lantern. But automatically, this terrifying John Carpenter soundtrack just comes on. And so immediately, you're freaked out by that, you're unsettled by that. Then, as the credits start to roll, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're like, you, I think children chanting right away. So you have this combo, this really creepy Halloween stuff. You hear children chanting. So already you have this very unsettled view of Halloween. And then it cuts to 1963, right? And there it just starts this the killer point of view shot outside of the house. And from there, I think it leads into one of the greatest horror openings of all time. What did you think of the opening? I loved it. I, I think there's a lot a lot that can be said simply in the first shot of a film. And this one sets the tone for what's going to happen immediately. Yeah. yeah for, it's darkness, and then you get a jack-o'-lantern, and you're like, oh, this movie's called Halloween. And there's a jack-o'-lantern, and it's really dark, and that's the only source of light happening on the screen. And then after the credits, just that opening scene of the killer point of view shot wandering around the house. You know there's a dangerous figure outside of this house, but you're not exactly sure who it is i think it's safe to assume that it is like a prowler or maybe a serial killer or whatever but you're not positive yet but i think what's fun about it is that it john carpenter he really takes his time going through this house and kind of having this character lurk around the premises and you're kind of wondering what exactly what what is this guy doing it leads to this very slow building and then it ends with the death of this young woman you see her getting stabbed from this point of view but the best twist of the opening is you find out who that killer is but you discover that it is actually a six-year-old six-year-old i think i uh, believe so yeah six-year-old boy who i guess stabbed his sister to death and after that the movie jumps to 1978 and and that's kind of the introduction that we get to michael myers which is not a great introduction for sure no and yeah. So the next thing that happens is he's committed to an insane asylum. And you don't see that happen on screen, but it's explained. I really like how instead of meeting him as an adult, you just hear about him. We cut to, we, there's this scene with this doctor, Dr. Loomis, who's in the car with his, is it his assistant? Um, and they're, are they transporting Michael to another location? I believe is what's happening. Oh. And they're discussing him. I thought, I thought that they were going to pick him up or they were going to speak with him because he's had, not in the car with them. Well, he's, I, I thought they were going to get him and then they were going to, I could be wrong. I think they're going to pick him up or they're going just to speak with him well, because yeah, then the he way. steals their car. Yeah, he's like on the way with them. That's a, that's a strange him. scene, too, because they arrive at the insane asylum and all of the people who would be inside of it are just wandering They're around wandering outside around. in the dark. Yeah. And he's like, what has happened here? <laughs> so, yeah. you, I mean, it might be safe to assume that Michael Myers got out of his cell or his room and maybe killed the guards or did something yeah. like that. And that's why everybody's that's walking already out this there. creepy premonition. We already have a bad feeling. This movie falls under the category of movie where the protagonist, well, the protagonist 
does a really good job. She does a pretty good job of she's surviving. Amazing. She's really good. She's very smart. The friends who die, not so smart. Yeah, although they, I, they my make friends are so funny. I love them. They are very funny. Yeah. They make every classic horror movie mistake. Yeah. I wrote down two rules. Oh. The two rules of horror movies <laughs> that you should really follow if you mm. want to stay alive for sure. Number one rule of horror movies, man, don't have sex. Just don't do it. Don't do that. Do not have sex. If you have <laughs> sex in a horror movie, you will die. I feel bad, though, because they don't really realize, you know, what's going on. What's the second rule, though? Rule number two, always, every time, listen to the instincts of children and animals. True, children If and your animals. dog is freaking out, or if your little brother is like, I don't feel good about this, we should not be going into this sewer, we should be getting out of here, <laughs> listen to your little brother, damn it's it. smart, they know what they're doing. They're not jaded at all. Mm -mm. They're just gonna tell you, they're gonna tell like it is. It's almost a play but not to do. It reminds me a lot of the character Randy from Scream, I don't know if you've seen those movies, but he basically just like wanders around that movie. He's one of the main characters who's like a cinephile and he just goes around telling you what you should not do if you're in a horror movie situation. And so one, there's a scene in the first screen where he just does this whole monologue where he's just listing all the things you shouldn't do. And that totally reminded me when you said that. Cause it's true, this movie really, I think this along with Friday the 13th where they really set the standard of what to do and what not to do. All the cliches. Friday the 13th has a similar feel to this movie. I don't like that movie though at all. You know, it's so I, much slimier to me. It, that movie is very slimy. Yeah. I, I watched it for the first time last year, and when little little water baby Jason <laughs> pops out of the water at the end, that's, that's I, so I was like, oh, the movie's <laughs> over. And then that happened, and I just about died. That's another one of Randy's rules in Scream, is that the killer never really dies at the end of a horror movie. That's the case they with always the, come back. That's the case with Michael Myers in this yeah, movie. The no guy seriously. gets shot, stabbed, jumps off a balcony, he, he's fine. He can do it all. It's very, it also, he just doesn't even seem like a human because he does all this stuff that would otherwise get a normal person killed. Doesn't die, but he also, he'll just appear and like disappear with the snap of a finger. We never see him run, though. He's always just walking very slowly, like he's just in control. So he, he just feels like this entity, even though he is a human man who's just crazy, he's like a ghost in a way. So that's one of the more problematic things about this movie for me, really? is that... Yeah, I wouldn't say problematic in the form of plot because I think it's supposed to at least be deciphered that this character is not human, that he is in fact some kind of demon based on the fact that he can be shot six times and fall <laughs> off the balcony and stabbed in the eye and all these things and not die. But it's not addressed super apparently in the movie. There's no real backstory given to him. You are meant to believe that this character is a person and that the only reason that they're that he's performing all these evil actions like murder is just because he's crazy. And it's yeah. kind of a, a stigmatizing thing that's, that's not true, yeah. very good. What do you think about this? I don't, I kind of like him as a villain just because he does represent that, the kind of evil I like in horror movies where it is this universal, inescapable evil. You can't really, it's hard to outsmart this evil because it's always one step ahead of you. Even if you think you're one step ahead, you actually aren't. So I like that aspect of it is he can't easily be defeated. I think it gets more convoluted. Like the second Halloween, for instance, like it takes place in the hospital in the aftermath. And he literally, someone I think, not like sets off a bomb, but there's a huge explosion and he's like next to the explosion and he still lives. So later on, it's like really dumb. I think in this movie, it works to, the same, it works to a good benefit because he is this villain that you can't defeat easily. And I feel like it's... It's kind of unrealistic, but I think here it works. Later on, it definitely didn't work with how much. I mean, I think he gets killed in pretty much every single Halloween movie and then comes back to life at some point. 
and there's like what like seven sequels like there's a lot Whoa. so yeah it's, it's funny because at the time when it was released i mean i i love it obviously but it wasn't super well received it got pretty mixed reviews i think a lot of critics put it kind of under the same categories like the exploitation you were talking about just kind of this throwaway b movie but one notable critic that helped its reputation was roger ebert who loved it gave it a perfect four star rating said it was one of the top 10 best movies of 1978 and compared it to psycho and said it worked the same way and so because of him that really helped bolster its credit and it was also a huge hit but that kind of gave it the status it needed to be respected as a horror classic i think it's the definitive slasher movie because even though you have a lot of other slasher movies it is the one it uses john carpenter's craft it is a very well made slasher movie it's not as concerned about being exploitative or trying to make us laugh with its absurdity it is very concerned with trying to make us scare which a lot of slasher movies forget to do they just try to be fun and just a good time with the movies whereas this one doesn't as much definitive would be a good word because this film has now been preserved by the library of congress did you know that I think, I feel like I saw that. There's yeah. always like that little sentence on Wikipedia that, what does it say, like, culturally, aesthetically, and whatever, significant. So every time I see that little tag, I'm like, oh, Library of Congress, tap that. It's Great. in there. <laughs> it's in there. It should be. The movie is focused on making us scared. Yes. And it does this well by setting it in a place that we're really familiar with. Classic suburban neighborhood, which I also like that setting because John Carpenter in the first first half hour, maybe, does a great job developing this area he really wanders around this neighborhood and kind of builds it as a space that we can familiarize ourselves with and so automatically we can totally relate to it and be like oh this is somewhere that i could grow up bear with me yes he basically does a dutch angle on the sidewalk now that may sound yeah. crazy because it's not the camera isn't actually tilted but mm. he rarely ever shoots anything in a way that would be like side on. So you'd never be looking at a character's side as they walk down the sidewalk. Yeah. It's always at some kind of strange angle where you tilted. can see them and the houses behind yeah. them, or you can see just them and the whole street. There's a great shot where the main character is waiting on a corner and where she's waiting, the way the camera's positioned, you can see all the way down both streets. So you're, you're sitting basically at the very corner of a square, just looking down almost into infinity and you feel that this place kind of holds more than it divulges. The area itself clearly is holding more secrets and has more stuff going on than is clearly apparent to the characters. No, definitely. And I like because of John Carpenter's use of space and because of these uncomfortable angles, I also like too how it always feels a slightly tilted and kind of almost shaky when he's moving with them. It feels intimate and almost like someone is following, following. them, which is nice. There's that feeling, I mean, Michael, sometimes you see from his point of view, him following, but even when he's not necessarily following people, the camera is. So there's always this presence following them around, basically. But I like the use of space because this neighborhood automatically, we recognize it so much, but we also kind of realize that even as the movie progresses, we kind of, when dangerous stuff starts happening, we realize that there's it's not obvious exactly where to escape because it is a suburban area. So every street corner, someone could catch up with you pretty easily. Everything's pretty close together, but I like how it develops that right off the bat. The angles make it really clear to the watcher that a suburban neighborhood may look really clean and nice and developed, but you can see all these little pathways that are around, good places, yeah. nooks and crannies that you wouldn't normally think about as you're walking through the neighborhood. You're not thinking about your neighbor's side yard. You're not thinking about where their garbage cans are, but you can kind of see these areas. 
And they make good use of this when there's the scene where the main character is getting pranked by her friend. Oh, oh, the creepy guy with the mask is hiding behind the bush. And Ooh. then she goes down and there's nobody there. He was there, yeah. but he clearly just went down the side of the house. He had no respect for the boundaries of property. Yeah. And of course, he's a serial killer, why would he? But it's cool, like all these little spaces that the movie takes place in are very personal spaces and the antagonist has no respect for them and trespasses through them freely without any kind of law to stop him. Yeah. And that's why he's scary. Yeah, and that, and that sneakiness too, I mean, as far as you can't sneak through all these houses, whatever, but it really complements the way that he is so clever because you think, oh, here are all these spaces you could hide. And then it's also paired with this killer who, even though he seems like just this this big mass of just evil who wants to destroy, he is still very clever. And so the two combined, it feels like, feels like in a way even the neighborhood itself is almost a villain too because it accommodates him so well and he is so easily able to get around it. There's so many of just these really basic shots of like maybe Lori turns or something and Michael's just like standing there just looking at her and those are those could so easily be laughable but the way John Carpenter presents them is so it really freaks me out every time because I think like Lori you feel like is this really happening like is there really this killer wearing this creepy mask just watching her and you kind of have the same disbelief as she does and so you can relate to her immediately but i like too because it is far away so you can't necessarily define him that well like it's hard to really tell exactly what he is so just even, even when they demask him at the end they pull yeah. off his mask and you barely get a look at him. yeah no i pause and i was like what although i, I will say though it did remind me because in the opening when he's a child they take off the mask and he just looks very confused and just like he has no thought process and it's kind of the same thing when they take off the mask like he doesn't really have an evil look in his eye or anything it's just he doesn't totally even have blank. any very distinguishing features other than no i mean i couldn't tell you what age the character is but no i, think I mean i guess you could based on the amount of time that it passed but if you saw this guy on the street you wouldn't be like this guy is this age yeah. he just looks kind of like indistinguishable maybe late 20s white dude. And the I love that we don't really see him. in the mask, I feel like so many masks in horror movies too can be a little bit silly. And I mean, like Jason's mask in Friday the 13th is just like the classic hockey thing that isn't super scary. I mean, Freddy Krueger, that's not really a mask, but it is this very- He just got messed up skin, man. He just has messed up He's skin. He's got a moisturizer. But it's, a, it's an over the top look. Whereas Michael Myers, it's just a, I think this mask was only made for like $2, but it's just a William Shatner mask painted white. It's, it's a William Shatner mask. Yeah, it's Captain Kirk. <laughs> Fun facts with Blake. Fun facts with Blake. But that's all it took. And that's another thing. Like all those shots could be kind of laughable, but here it works so well because Carpenter looks at it so seriously. He takes it very seriously. And that's, once again, why the movie works so well is because he is working so hard to scare us that it'd almost be like impolite not to be freaked out at what he presents. Yeah. It would be impolite. It would be impolite. I couldn't do it. Well, the next time you're invited by the man himself to one of his movies and he, he says, <laughs> says, Blake, what did you think? You can be like, oh, sir, it was very scary. Felt <laughs> Honestly. Like, that you would can be dab me. your lips with your nice napkin. I would totally politely lie to John Carpenter. I watched a <laughs> movie, even if it was bad, to be like, you know what? I love John so much that I'll just be nice to him. Have you seen any other John Carpenter movies or are there any that stand out to you? I have seen, I haven't seen either of those first two you, you talked about. I haven't seen Precinct 
Assault on Precinct 13. Assault on Precinct 13. I haven't seen, and I haven't seen Dark Star, but I have seen The Thing, mm -hmm. and I have seen Big Trouble in Little China, and I have seen Escape from New York. There was something, I read this, it's kind of a theory, I guess, that Jamie Lee Curtis's, for the end of the movie, her kind of exploding and attacking Michael Myers and stabbing him and trying to defend herself, apparently is they're trying to make, is it an analogy? I don't know, the allegory? One of those fancy terms that that represents her kind of being sexually frustrated. All of her friends are having all these romantic encounters that she's kind of jealous of, and that's almost her way of finally giving in. The knife is almost like phallic in a way, which I feel like is a little deep. I don't feel like that's what John Carpenter intended necessarily, but I like that. I, can, I can understand the reading I can understand. It makes sense. Also, Jamie Lee Curtis is great in this movie. I feel like so many characters that are in her situation are usually like overly goody goody whereas i feel like she's just a very plausible i think she's supposed to be 15 which blows my mind because she does not look 15. Yeah, nobody um, in this movie looks no like one. a high schooler no, pj souls looks like she's 35. <laughs> like, there's just no way but yeah she's just a very smart heroine i really like her too just because she doesn't just feel like this character who just coincidentally makes it to the end she is just smarter than her friend she's very she's also very protective she's babysitting as this is going on and she really makes a point to protect the kid she's babysitting from Michael Myers, who's terrorizing them. She could easily kind of forget about them, get lost in the craziness of it all, but she doesn't. She really makes sure to protect them before she protects herself, which I really like. I also like there's this moment kind of midway through the movie where after she gets the obscene phone call, which is followed by her being followed around by Michael Myers, she like lays down on her bed and she's giving herself kind of a pep talk and she's like, calm down, this is ridiculous. And she's trying to calm herself. And I love that touch so much because I think anyone in her situation would do that. And that's not something you have to throw in necessarily in the screenplay, but it really makes her a universal character. Just someone trying to survive and trying to stay sane as much as they can. She's cool and collected. She doesn't she cool doesn't scream like a crazy person anytime anything mildly scary happens. She really she pulls it together. She's a good protagonist. She always pulls it together. And when she does scream, it feels very well deserved. I feel like a lot of Scream Queen screams do feel very planned out. Like they're like, oh, this is my moment to scream, but she does it in a very natural way that makes it feel believable. And I also like, too, towards the end, how you can feel her exhaustion. She, after she thinks she's defeated Michael, which is like, I feel like three times, she's like exhausted and trying to kind of get up and walk out of the house. And then he like, just keeps attacking her. And that scene happens so many times, but you're totally fighting with her the entire time. And you're almost as exhausted as she is because you keep seeing this guy like, not die over and over. So it's like, poor Jamie. She just wants to live. Poor Jamie. Poor Jamie. She does stand out because a lot of the other actors in this movie are terrible as well. Oh, I like them. Her so. friends are pretty bad. They're they're naughty girls, but I, I love P PJ Souls a lot. She's a very fun. She did a lot of kind of supporting roles like this. I think end of the 70s, early 80s. Uh, she's very fun and the movie she made after this is called Rock and Roll High School and she plays kind of this rock chick who loves the Ramones. Definitely check that out, but she's, I think, a lot of fun. I think it's funny that one of the friends, her catchphrase that is equivalent to how much people use the word like today is totally. <laughs> I should do that instead. I say like so much. It's like a weird drug. Oh, see, I just said it. Wow. Did you notice that? <laughs> I said it? No, I said it. Oh. I said I say the word like so much. It's like a drug. And then it's just right after the other. Bad. It's terrible. I just need to stop and be like an NPR person and speak eloquently with no crutches. See, just that sentence was hard to say. Very good, very good. <laughs> so proud. Yeah. All right, do you have I think that's else? about what we got. That's what I got. That's pretty much what I uh, got. Well, I have one more note. Okay, I'm ready. I'm Ooh, just going to read wait, you. Wait, I have another oh, one. Okay, you no, you, you, no, you do this first. 
Okay, I will do my first. <laughs> I was just gonna read you verbatim what I wrote, which is... Oh, verbatim. <laughs> smoking weed plus driving and listening to Blue Oyster Cult is a bad choice. <laughs> bad is what choice. I wrote. Also, I was shocked when they drove up to the dad and he who just... is a police officer yeah, and also i feel like it's very hard to get the weed smell out of your car that quickly but apparently you couldn't smell it which i don't buy at all and also if you are smoking weed just don't pull up just roll down the window maybe wave and say hi like don't go to your dad who's a police <laughs> officer and be like hey what's up i i mean i guess the ganj we've got around these days is quite a bit stronger maybe than it's stronger they had yeah then, but i couldn't, knows, I, couldn't tell man. You. I couldn't tell you i wasn't around and poor jamie in that scene she just Smokes it just to fit in, but then it makes her cough forever. It's so precious, but it makes you feel bad at the same time. She has to suffer to fit in. Not fair. We've Not all been fair. there. We've all been there, Jamie, and we're so sorry for you. Also, I really liked this. Is I'm just gonna throw this in there. Please. Uh, if anyone's seen it, follows, which is I think like the best horror movie of the 2010s. Maybe I that's, still haven't seen it. Oh, it's so good. But that one, it is fun to watch that recently because it pulls a lot of things from Halloween. One of the things that it pays homage to is the scene where Lori is sitting in the classroom and she's looking out the window and then that's when she sees Michael for the first time. A similar thing happens and it follows where the main character is sitting in class like that. I think she's in detention in this movie. She's sitting in detention and she looks out the window and then there, in the movie it follows the villain is basically just like this entity that just follows you around basically until they catch up with you and kill you and you can't get rid of them. Which is scarier than Michael Myers, honestly. And that scene, a similar thing happens, except instead of him standing there, she notices this creepy woman coming toward her very slowly as this music, similar to how John Carpenter's music is in this movie. It's just like blaring and getting louder and louder as this thing is coming closer. Got any last thoughts? I don't think so. I feel like earlier when I said, you know, definitive slasher movie, that's kind of my final thought. Okay. It's the definitive. You got your final thought out of the way early there this it episode. Is, yeah. It's the definitive slasher movie. If you haven't seen it, please watch it immediately. Even if you have to watch it on like November 2nd, just do it. Live through it. It's great. It's terrific. What is your final thought, Aiden? Do you feel as strongly as I do? No. <sighs> I do like this movie. I did enjoy it a lot. I think... I ruined it for myself because I was expecting to be real spooked. I was expecting I was ex- I was expecting to be real scared, you know, have to get a blanket and some hot cocoa to calm myself down, but it wasn't that scary to me. What? I, it it was creepy. It was creepy. <laughs> but my final thought is this movie is great and honestly all of the all the shots, all of the suspense is really good. <laughs> William Shatner's creepy face on another man's face is pretty creepy. Poor Bill, he didn't deserve this, but also, I mean, nice way to be immortalized. Terrible way to be immortalized. I mean, but kind of fun at the same time. Aiden, what are your recommendations for movies that are You're going to make me do this first. Okay. Yeah, sorry, putting you on the spot. That's fine. On the spot. I did not write down any recommendations. (laughs) Wow. That's okay. Do you want to write some while I say mine, or are you ready? If you want to watch a horror movie that plays with the tropes of horror movies, like what we talked about earlier, quite a bit gorier than this movie, I would recommend you watch Cabin in the Woods. Oh, so good. Cabin in the Woods is a very, very fun time. I would almost consider it more sci-fi. That's it's like it's more sci-fi fantasy. It really is because it's, it's got a little bit of everything, and Chris Hemsworth's in it, and he rides a motorcycle. He's so he's great. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. Watch Cabin in the Woods. Other horror movies, I'd say Psycho's a good one. You didn't put that on your list though, did no. you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> I uh, the knife, same knife, in both movies. Wait, is that a fun fact, or are you just like... Uh, no, guessing? it's the same kind of knife. It's like a big old kitchen knife. Oh, I thought you were like, they No, it's, it's not the same knife. <laughs> like, oh, fun fact cool. I missed. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> Although anything's possible. Maybe you can anything's remake possible. Halloween one day and get the knife from Psycho for it. Oh, there's already been a remake. I don't want to remake it again. 
I can't. I also can't believe there's been a remake. Who would do that? I know Rob Zombie. I guess I say who would do that. Rob Zombie did, and I just feel like no, Rob, you're not really a <laughs> Mr. Director. Zombie. Please, Mr. Zombie, please. <laughs> I don't know why he did it, but I know that version's a lot more gory. So clearly, like it missed one of the things that made the original Halloween so memorable is so the lack of gore. But whatever. I won't rip on Mr. Zombie too long. There's just no point. Okay. Anyway, I'll go into my recommendations. Although you seem to be lost in five. No, go ahead. I might, I might recommend another one once you're done, but you oh, go ahead. You can go really No, quick. I'm still trying to remember something. Okay, perfect. Okay, well, I'm going to recommend first. I went with, I know you went with horror tropes. I'm going to go with other definitive slasher movies. I guess there can't be multiple definitive. We'll just say like the classic horror movies, TM, or slasher movies. I, I've done that throughout the podcast. I keep saying horror instead of slasher, which is like... Important to specify, because one is a lot more broad than the other. First one is The Burning, which is a 1981 slasher movie that is similar to Friday the 13th, except I think it's a lot... I think the original Friday the 13th is really exploitative and gross, and kind of has this weird joy from watching kids get killed. Whereas The Burning, it has a similar premise. It's like kids getting killed at um, summer camp. It kind of seems to be in on the joke that Friday the 13th was gross, and so... Rather than kind of take delight in the killings, it is very clever in how it stages its death scenes and in a way that makes it memorable. Also, it is also very suspenseful. A lot of fun. The killer has garden shears instead of a knife, which is interesting. So check it out for that. Great costume. He just wears like a black cape. So yeah, The Burning from 1981. That's great. Also, we'll recommend 1974's Black Christmas, which obviously came a few years before Halloween. And it was influential in a lot of ways. Basically, it takes place in a girl's boarding house during the Christmas season. And there's a killer, I think in their attic, who kills them off one by one. But it's very slowly, very methodical. You don't find out who the killer is. At the very ending, you see like this eye through this peephole. And it like a voice says this really creepy thing to a character. But you never find out who it is. And so it sticks with you. Just that scene is so creepy. I remember like my whole body going cold. So honestly... That movie, even just for the last scene, is worth it because it's such a good build-up. Also, it features Margot Kidder in an early role from Superman, so check that out. My last one is Dario Argento's Tenebrae from 1982. This is also a slasher movie. It's interesting. It's about an author who he writes this horror fiction, and he finds himself in the midst of a serial killer who is imitating his works. He's making them happen in real life, basically. And all of his books are very violent, so this is not a good thing that the killer is recreating his books. So he has to find out who is doing it, and the plot twist at the end is phenomenal. So, gotta watch that. Great, great slasher movie. And anyway, what's your little extra? I have three more recommendations. Three? Wow, Aiden, look at you. Yeah, here we go. So my first one is for if you want to watch something on Halloween, but you spook easy and you want to maybe be able to sleep because, you know, Halloween, it's a weekday this year. You got to get up for work tomorrow. You got to get for class, whatever. You got to relax. Yeah. So if you're looking to relax and have a good time, also if you're into some Christmas around the corner, you should watch The Nightmare Before Christmas. That's a great mm. Halloween oh, classic. so nice. Too. So nice. Now, <laughs> if you want to get down with a bit of an acid trip of a movie in a bad way, I would recommend you watch Evil Dead 2, followed Ooh. by Army of Darkness. Ooh, see, I've seen Evil Dead 2, but not Army Ooh, of Darkness. Ooh, man. Maybe I'll just have to very, watch them. Very rarely do I sit down, lean back in my cozy <laughs> Ikea poang, and really absorb a movie like I did Army of Darkness and Evil Dead 2. Those movies are so entrancing to me, I fall into them and just go, what is going on? 
Evil Dead 2 is so fun. It's really fun. It's really weird. If you're into just grotesque imagery that's clearly claymation, but also incredibly unsettling, Evil Dead 2 is the movie for you. Also, you get to say the most fun word ever added to the English language afterwards, which is Necronomicon. Oh, such a great word. Really good Maybe word. Maybe name my first son that. Necronomicon? Yeah, I think it, it's easy to say. Rolls off the tongue. Maybe could be made into a cute nickname. Yeah. All right, is that everything today? I think that's about it. All right. If you want to reach out to us and recommend some movies to us, let us know your thoughts. Anything, you can reach us at cinemadventurepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Blake? We do Morse code. What's that behind you? Did everyone hear that? That was me dying. I got stabbed. <laughs> I was trying to do like a fun Halloween outro. <laughs> oh, and that okay. Was the end of the, that's okay. I like it. That's okay. We can do it. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. drunk food is like in other places? My name is Dee Dee Madigan, host of the weekly podcast Home Plates, where I ask that question and many more. Each week, an international student joins me here in the studio to discuss their food culture. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday right here on the Soundbite Network. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.